You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. This is Ava Hassan with Momming While Muslim. As you can see, my beautiful co-host is not here today. She unfortunately had um, a passing in her family. So we are praying for her and her family and her uncle's family. And inshallah, she'll be joining us next week. So I'm um, blessed to be able to have another co-host here with me today who also happens to be one of our, our, our guests for today. So I'm going to introduce her right now because we're continuing our series of Muslim Women in Finance. And we have the amazing Lisa Hashem. Um, and she is a personal finance coach. She is the CEO. I love when women have that title, let me tell you, right at the end of their, um, <laughs> behind their, 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 their name. I love it. She's the CEO of Hashem Consulting LLC, and she co-hosts the Muslim Women in Finance podcast because Lord knows we need that. She has been cited in the book before the nikah, quoted in the Nerd Wallet article on halal investing. Lisa has also been involved in faith-based wealth building since 2007, and she has a great passion for creating impact for Muslim women seeking financial stability and upward growth in their life. And I'm excited to have her be my co-host here today. So welcome, Lisa. And, I, and I'm hoping you're going to tell me a little bit about how I can get rich quick, because I don't know about you, lady, but I definitely need that. How are you? <laughs> how was your weekend? And, you know, tell us all about yourself, Lisa. Yes, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, and I'm very sorry Isma couldn't join us and um, I'm sending prayers for her family. So I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for introducing me. And yes, um, I've been in the personal finance space. Um, professionally, I would say tw since 2017, but my education started around 2007. And I just you know, how I got involved was I was kind of always in the middle of the storm. You know, people would always come up to me and ask me questions. For some reason, people always thought I had the answers to all their questions, especially when it was Did related you have to, like dollar to... bills on your hijab so that they knew, okay, she's the woman, she's the woman to contact because, you know, there's just certain people that you're like, okay, they know exactly. what they're talking about. Every community has a go-to person, right? So for my community, for my for my college and for my community, I was that go-to person where um, I was studying electrical engineering. So I think just based on that, people were like, oh, she must have answers to um, career path, to what courses to take, to, um, you know, resume building, internships, things like that. And because I actually had gone through those things. So I was just always a contact person my, my senior year of school. And then as I was working, I worked in um, private corporation. I used to work for the, the Sprint telecommunications and then going into government. So I was always, people were always asking me questions. Um, and even at the workplace, you know, with retirement or pension or health insurance plans, um, there were a group of Muslim sisters who I worked with. So we were always just kind of like emailing back and forth. And um, even based on my social circle, I had the opportunity to meet um, 
the generation that formed the Muslim Student Associations in the United States, mm-hmm. um, which started back in the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, I actually knew the parents because my sister was like really good friends with their kids. And, you know, hearing mm-hmm. those stories of starting out, you know, ISNA, MSA, and then the ISNA conference and how that came about. And I was always just really um, inspired like, wow, I want to do something for my community. So, um, you know, I started taking um, Islamic finance courses with Sheikh Mohammed al-Sharif, who recently passed mm-hmm. away, and um, Dr. Yukub Mirza, who is the architect of Amana Mutual Funds. I started taking personal finance classes with them. That's where it started, and I had this interest. And, you know, I had a front row seat into my parents' marriage and how they balance finances, because that's really where you first learn about finance matters, yes. is with what went on in your own household and what you saw your parents doing. And, and so, yeah, there was just an interest. I was good at it. I was really thinking um, when I went to Umrah in 2017, you know, is there something I can do to benefit the Ummah? Is there something I can do specifically for Muslim women and their children? And, and then, you know, I just started sharing articles and, and things like that. And then it just grew to, to something a lot more. No, I, I absolutely love that. And you kind of hit hit why we're doing this series. You learn whether it's their good habits or bad habits, right? From how you witness your parents um, kind of going through whether it's struggling or whether it's the exact opposite or whether they're teaching you. Um, and unfortunately, in a lot of first, second generation um, immigrant families, right, coming to America for the first time, that wealth building, they're just surviving, right? So they're not, they're not even trying to create wealth building, which is what our generation is trying to do for our kids. So, you know, let's go back a little bit and start with that, your family background and how that impacted why you got into financial coaching to begin with. Yeah. So, you know, my parents had an arranged marriage. I, they didn't even speak to each other before they got married. So I have, so, you know, they got, so, and I think a lot of people from who come from a similar immigrant family background as myself um, have similar stories where their parents didn't really know each other. And so my dad um, has been in the United States since the late sixties and, you know, he married my mom. She came over and um, she was actually pregnant when she came over to the United States. And then I was, I was born. Um, and they have that feel good story where they started off with basically not much. You know, my dad was just working on mm-hmm. jobs. And then he, by the time I was two, my mom was, was working in data entry. She had gone to, for training for data entry and they had, um, a friend who actually owned a data entry company. And so he kind of put my mom in there just kind of like as an externship, like she wasn't getting paid, but she was learning. And then through that, you know, she got hired and, you know, she kind of progressed in her career in corporate America, basically. Um, she eventually went on to work for a health insurance company. And then as she progressed and started earning more our family started seeing a shift in our life. You know, we went from a one bedroom apartment to a townhouse to a single family home and then the single family home with a garage. And, and, 
so I stand on the shoulders of my mom, you know, cause she had a lot of insecurities in the workplace because she had an accent. Um, she didn't have a degree from the United States. She did have a degree from back home and, you know, she shared those things with me at home. And that was something that I really kept with me, you know, all her, um, experiences, you know, being a woman of color, having dark skin, uh, things of that nature, how that really affected her in the workplace. And she was actually pretty financially savvy because everyone at her workplace talked about money all the time <laughs> and she would bring yeah. that home with her. And, and so I found that really interesting that even, you know, my mom was having this really, you know, I saw my mom go to work in suits. So I had a really different um, outlook of what money looked like because of her, which she was experiencing. And also um, there was a time where my parents both worked two jobs um, just yeah. to provide for us. And, you know, because you, you live paycheck to paycheck and then you want a little bit more. Um, I know mm -hmm. it was really important for my own mother to want to visit her mom back home, to want to bring her mother over. Um, and you need a lot of capital. You need a lot of income for that. So through my mother's experiences, I saw something and also, you know, the disagreements. I think my father being the mm -hmm. oldest, he was in a position that he had to provide for his brothers and sisters back home. There was no, um, my, my grandfather passed before I was born. So that kind of created a lot of disagreements. And again, I had a front row seat too. And that I saw how, you know, my dad was like, well, I'm going to give my money to my family and you can just support us with your income to my mom. And that didn't really go over very well. So I think early yes, on, I'm sure I had it felt a lot of like that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, their marriage was unique because they never spoke to each other and premarital education right. is so new now. It's so new in, the, in yes. the, this time and day. So, um, yeah, you know, those things really stuck with me. And, and I, my mom and dad yeah. weren't the only people that had that type of situation. So, um, you know, my friend circle includes not only people who come from a similar immigrant family background, but people who have been here for generations and who have had to dealt with systemic practices that kept black and brown communities away from wealth. So um, right. those things were actually very interesting to me because Unfortunately, history has a way of repeating itself and you need to learn how mm -hmm. to kind of move away from these systemic practices where people, you know, anyone can build wealth, especially women, because with women, um, you know, the fact that the, the life experiences they go through are pretty traumatic. You know, when you become a single parent or you go through a divorce or you become a widow, there's a lot on our plates, uh, generally speaking, men too, but I think women have it more. So those things were interesting to me. And I kind of was like, you know, I really need to figure out a way where I can be beneficial and help women that need these type of resources. So it was my, I was looking at my 401k materials and getting a little overwhelmed. Oh, I know what you mean. It can look like chaos. And none of the choices were halal. It's kind of a disaster. You know about the amount of funds though, right? Wait, no. What? Well, if your plan has a brokerage option, it's likely you can choose them through that, but you can also invest directly with them. They're halal? You bet. They're the oldest and largest Islamically acceptable funds in the U.S. Sharia certified, the whole deal. We want to thank Amana Funds for sponsoring this episode. Here's what you need to know. 
please consider an investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. To obtain this and other important information about Amana Mutual Funds in a current prospectus or summary prospectus, please visit www.amanafunds.com or call toll-free 1-800-728-8762. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. Distributed by Saturna Brokerage Services Incorporated, member of FINRA, and a wholly owned subsidiary of Saturna Capital, investment advisor to the Amana Mutual Funds. We're, we're, we're talking about this undercurrent theme, like you mentioned a couple of times, like um, women that have to get divorced, single moms, or or now a lot of women are getting married a little bit later in life and having and then wanting to have their own independence and wealth. Why do you feel like knowing about finances, having that financial freedom um, for women and moms, in our case, very specifically, is important for our Muslim communities? Um, what's going on in society now is that a lot of the financial infrastructure and products are really aimed towards a dual income family. And, and we've mm-hmm. seen, the, you know, the progression of women entering the workforce and we're still dealing with the stigma of women not being paid as fairly as men, the gender pay gap. It's alive and well, unfortunately, especially compared to a white man who in, in corporate America. So, um, Because of that, because of this rise of the dual income family, because of the rise of financial independence, and especially for the Muslim community, a lot of our Muslim girls are not getting married as young as 21. You know, they're going through Mm -hmm. college and they're experiencing life and they're now they're, you know, they're trying to find um, a partner on their own, not necessarily through an arranged Mm -hmm. Uh, method, but on their own. So they're being single a lot longer. And, you know, time is a huge factor in building wealth. Time in the market is much more important than timing the market. So people want to start early. And if you didn't come from a family that was um, uh, wealthy, you know, or, or like upper middle class, for example, things like that, then you have to do it on your own. And so it's really important for women to have access to these resources because we are responsible for so many people. It's not just Mm -hmm. whether you have a child or a partner, your elderly parents, your siblings, financial independence for you, student loan debt has to be paid off. And um, that takes away a big chunk of wealth building. That actually takes away from wealth building, but it is a responsibility that you have to pay off. So because of that, you know, everyone's kind of crunching the numbers and figuring out, you know, how can I do this in a way where I can be um, financially independent and successful and also define goals for myself and, and having a means to reach those goals. So it's a lot of things. I mean, men obviously um, need the information as well, but now we're seeing that a lot of women are the main income earner in the household or, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially for single family um, households. And also they may be making more than their partner. So um, that's very, it's very intricate to, you know, before the information was really just given for men, you know, books for written by men, the courses were taken mm-hmm. by the men and the men, you know, everything was just geared towards making, um, the man financially savvy. But now we have this big push for, we need products for women and women are different than men. They have different experiences. They have different responsibilities. So therefore the, um, financial information has to be catered to that. 
No, I a hundred percent agree. And you know, you have a very live and active Facebook group. One, can you tell us what where that is? So, if people wanted to go get some information from that, please include that in in your answer. But what did you serve within your local community survey for them for you to be like, wait a second, I think we need a group to kind of cultivate all this information into one space. And, and and kind of have it be this place, go-to place for people to get that information. Yeah, so I kind of volunteered <laughs> to speak um, with a local women's group at the Mustard, the local Mustard where I'm from. They were just, you know, they just had an open forum like, hey, if you have some, um, if you have insider expertise in any area, please come by and share that with the ladies. So I was like, you know, financial literacy, I'm pretty... Um, skilled in that, why don't I come and show up and give a workshop? So I did that and 17 women came and I think they were pretty much like blown away by the information that I was giving to them because, you know, I started off with, um, you know, your environment, your culture, your character, your parents have a big influence in your money mantra and how you view money. And then we went to budgeting and then we went to expenses, savings, spending, investing. So we went over all these areas and it was just like, oh my gosh, this is a lot. And no one has ever talked to us like this before. You know, that was the main thing. Right. They'd never heard that in the masjid for women, catered towards women. So then I went home and I was like, you know what, if 17 women who I don't even know are telling me that they have never heard this information before geared towards them specifically, then I think I need to start something. And I, and I did, I think within 48 hours, I created a private Facebook group called Muslim Women in Finance in 2017, August of 2017. And then I also have a public page on Facebook, which anyone can view. Um, so I have a lot of brothers on there and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I just share, I mean, because I think of financial wholeness, you know, I think of it as a, a whole picture. I think that everything has a financial component to it. You know, wealth is not just about having a lot of capital. There's spiritual wealth, mm-hmm. there's physical wealth, there's mental wealth, and, you know, health is wealth, you know, th- that kind of thing. So I kind of want women to embrace that, you know, they have access to information just like men do, and that they can have those C-suite conversations too, you know, they need to understand that they should understand how the economy is working around them. You know, living in the United States, we may not be kind of, um, we may not understand how the systems work that are in place, but it's good to, because when you understand how the systems work, you can see how they can benefit you. And then you can spread the knowledge. Um, And so, because in the United States, public school system doesn't have uh, financial literacy as a Um, a core course, or even, you know, Mm -hmm. even as an elective in in K through 12, it's not even an elective. I think they're slowly trying to implement it through math or having it as a separate subject matter, but I don't meet a lot of people that get to have access to this information. I just met someone over the weekend who had it in Utah. She had a, in her senior year of high school, had a finan- an elective in financial literacy. And that's where she learned about investing. So I was really happy to hear that, you know, because the sooner you get the information and the education, the sooner you can act on it. 
Exactly. No, a hundred percent. Like, and, and just, and it's not, like you said, it's not just about the debit and credit column, right? It's about a whole, you know, pun intended wealth of information that is kind of put together that creates the whole financial um, literacy picture. So I love that you're trying to um, work on all aspects of it because, you know, it's, you know, what's one thing we teach our kids, you know, it's great to have money. It's great to invest. It's great to save. It's good to do these types of things. But part of our family mantra is of course, you know, where are we donating this? Where are we spending our time with our, our sadaka? Where are we doing this if something happens? So, you know, that, um, wealth mindset also has, at least in our family, that spiritual component to it as well. So I love that you're incorporating that in your teachings. And, you know, I'm a member of the Facebook page and whatever, so uh, the Facebook group and whatever I need some information, I definitely go on there. Um, so I, I appreciate everything that you've been doing for our community thus far and inshallah in the future. But, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, specifically because we have a lot of myths and weird things associated right with women and making money or things like that so what are some of like top three things financial myths that you feel that muslim women um, are believing based on your experiences and what are three mistakes that they make that you can kind of help them with when it's uh, when talking about uh, like approaching finances or financial literacy I think with the myths, especially from for those, actually with anyone, whether you come from an immigrant family or not, it's, you know, I have to do things the way my parents did. I think that's a top right. myth. My parents, you know, they followed this clear path, even of like going to trade school or college, or they worked 24-7 and they were never home, or, you know... They had to buy certain things because of uh, cultural norms or traditional norms. I know with my family, my dad was really sucked into this idea that he had to support all his siblings and their wives and yeah. their kids. He, it just, it just, because right. he was the oldest, the onus was on him and you can't really be that way. Not, not in the United States. I don't think you can because you need to provide for yourself first. You need to make sure that you're taken care of first before you take care of everyone else. So that myth yes. for sure, people end up falling into, or like, you know, your mom will come up to you, you know, my brother died, the bro- the uncle you never talked to in your life <laughs> passed away. Yeah. We have to pay yeah, for like, his I didn't funeral. Even know he existed. Exactly. Yeah. And so you get like, you get, you get this guilt that comes over you. And a lot of finance is based on behavior. There is a science called behavioral yes. finance. And so mm-hmm. um, I think that's a huge myth. You don't have to do things the way your parents did. I mean, there are a lot of people, for example, who are going into coding. They're going straight into coding boot camp um, at 18, 19, 20 years old. And they're kind of bypassing the traditional four-year college route and going straight into um, becoming employed or self-employed. And they're they're starting to make income and they're realizing, you know, the traditional routes that were set up for us where people say, you know, you need to do um, isn't for everyone. It's not for everyone. Right. And so um, I think people are starting to see more of that, especially because of the pandemic. People were just like, you know, not happy with their jobs and things like that. Um, it caused a lot of state of reflection of how can I do things differently if I'm not happy? Um, the second myth I would say, oh, did you want to comment about the first myth? 
No, no, I, I actually really appreciate that because it's 100% true, right? Like we think in our communities, and I can only speak to, you know, the subcontinental community, like there are, mo- there are only a few paths to quote unquote success, right? And it's whether you're a business owner, a doctor, even, even my husband coming in, like when I met my husband, he was he had just finished law school and my parents were like, what is this lawyer business? Right? Like it wasn't even something that was that prevalent back then. So I love that you're focusing on, there are multiple paths and in college for some people and, and carrying that debt, if this is not what they want to ultimately do with, with their, with their life is not necessarily the path that you need to take. So one, I appreciate you you mentioning that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the second myth would be that men are better at managing money than women and women should just not be involved. And yes. <laughs> and I know a lot of people don't like the math as a subject and, and things of that yeah. nature. But at the end of the day, um, you really do have to be involved because when things collapse, you're just not going to understand what is going on. And Um, transparency and communication is really the key that you need to know what's going on in your household because of financial infidelity, because of financial abuse, because a lot of people take secrecy as, um, as a thing where they can do things because money magnifies who you are already. So it can magnify corruption. It can magnify indecency. Um, I, I think women just need to be really savvy and it's, it's okay if your husband is crunching the numbers, but you need to at least be transparent and know what's going on and kind of have your eyes on everything to see how you're doing. And you can have input, you know, you may not do the same thing as your husband or partner, or if you're a single parent, you know, you may feel like this isn't working for me. I'm looking at the budget and I'm seeing we're spending too much on groceries or we're spending too much on after school activities. This is not working. And it may be a point where, you know, you realize I need to actually get a better paying job. I need to get a part-time job to supplement what I'm getting in for my nine to five, things like that. And it's good to have a second pair of eyes always, you know, the more people that are working together on the project, the, the things will build a lot faster and there'll be a lot more input where you can have a successful portfolio. So I do think that's one um, myth where women are just like, I'm not good with math. I'm not good with numbers. I'll just let my husband do everything or I'll just let, I'll just let it slide. I won't even look at the bank statements. And I, I do want to push that women do need to get involved and understand what is going on. So like, just like a big, like you're saying, okay, if let's just say you don't even want to do the full gamut, right? Like I have to say, I don't like, I'm one of those that I hate it. My poor husband makes me sit down. He's like, babe, you have to stay here, blah, blah, blah. I get it. But you're saying I need to know the the basics, right? Like I need to know the bare bones, where everything goes, where it's going, because things can fall through the cracks and a second pair of eyes is not going to necessarily hurt you. right? Right. And the third thing is, you know, there are, there is a huge in, influx in financial abuse in um, specifically within our communities you know, that we've all seen and we've actually have friends and experienced it, you know, second, third hand um, a lot of the times. So just even knowing the basics can make a, a more informed decision 
when dealing with your finances. That's kind of what I'm hearing from you. Right. You know, domestic violence isn't only physical abuse. I think a lot of people just connect physical abuse to domestic violence. There's so much more, you know, there's verbal abuse and financial abuse. And I'm starting to hear now more people touch on that um, because I've been talking about it for for a while um, because I've just, the stories that come to me and, you know, people will be like, is this really right? Or is this really like traditionally, this is how it works. And it's like, no, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it doesn't work like this. Like every woman should have her own checking account. She should have access to some type of capital. And that's why a lot of women end up staying with their partners. It because Mm -hmm. of the dependency, the codependency that they just can't shake off and there's no one else to help them. Um, But anyway, yeah, I do think that's why transparency and being involved in your own household household finances is very important. The third myth is that, um, especially if you work in a nine to five corporation, is that your company has your best interest at heart. And I would like to say that that's not true. We all know that that's not true. (laughs) You know, they've given me all the resources. They're always looking out for me, you know, and it's just like, no, you really have to look out for yourself. When you go on these job interviews, you should also ask questions. You know, is this going to be a good work-life balance for me? Is this... Um, you know, how, how many times a year do you give raises and what do you give raises based on? Um, I know for me personally, I came to, I, you know, I always had worked the nine to five since I graduated undergrad. And then it came to a point where I did have to go part-time and I'm still part-time with my nine to five job because, you know, the work-life balance. And really for me, it was, I was working 40 hours a week, getting paid for 40 hours a week for 80 hours of work. And it, it just yeah. didn't make sense at that point. So you really do have to realize that not everyone has your best interest at heart, especially your employer and, and speak mm-hmm. up for yourself and be proactive and know the resources that the employer is providing for you. Because a lot of times you go to these jobs, they hand us a bunch of paperwork and they expect us to know. You kind of stick it in a file and then you're yes, like, Yes, oh, you don't whatever. even know what you're yeah. signing up for. You don't even know what benefits you actually have through your workplace. So it's really important to go through all the fine print, unfortunately. And it is, it is important to go through that fine print. And I, I have um, assisted women through that and knowing what benefits your workplace has, what you have access to, what you can afford to have, um, and things of that nature. Our dream is coming to fruition and it's only a few months away. We've always talked about it. We always have had people come and contact us for many women, self-care, mental health, physical fitness, often take the back seat. And we decided at Mommy Well Muslim to collaborate with Moxie Living and do something about it. And guess what we're doing about it? I am inviting everybody here to join our weekend retreat. It's October 14th through the 16th, 2022. It's going to be in an urban oasis, just minutes from DC. And our whole point is for you to rediscover your identity in your current life phase because your mind, body, and your soul deserve it. So visit www.mommingwalmuslim.com forward slash retreat. And we will look for you there. Um, you started um, the this consulting company 
um, one, what was one of the, the reasons why you did it? And two, what are the things that you're offering um, to people to kind of help them through their financial literacy? So I actually have a certification in women's entrepreneurship from a Cornell University. And it was really through that course where they were really pushing you to like, you know, you need to in order for you to be a really a, a professional that's providing services, you really need to open up um, an entity and, and, and start and start being more professional. So that's what I started doing. About it, yes. So, you know, I opened up my LLC and then I just, you know, I got a website and then I started doing everything more um, streamlined in a professional manner uh, because, you know, I, I get so many, as you can imagine through social media, I get a lot of DMs from women all over the world um, asking for yeah. advice and things like that. And I wanted to streamline that approached um, in a more professional manner. So because of that coursework and certification, I really pushed myself to do that. And, you know, there's just a need. And because based on my experiences and my education, um, I see it like with my clients, you know, how much of a difference my work is making in their life. And when I, when I speak to a woman in front of me, when, when I speak to a client, I know that I'm reaching much more than her. I'm, I'm reaching like a generation to come. She's going to pass down these values. So um, that was really the push to create something in a professional manner. Um, and it's been a blessing with financial coaching. I've done post-divorce uh, management planning. I've done, um, you know, teaching how to make investments in a more Sharia compliant manner, um, mm -hmm. discussing retirement plans and how to transfer those over when you move from job to job. Um, I've discussed um, short-term money goals, long-term money goals, nonprofit formation, small business formation, um, tax planning strategies. And there's some things that are outside of my scope. So creating a script for women to, to present to like a CPA or an attorney or, um, um, a real estate, um, agent, things like that. I've, I've assisted in the home buying process for first time owners, talking to women who want to start doing, um, investment property or even like commercial, like I want to buy commercial property, things of that nature. Um, and just, you know, career, career, um, advising resumes, you know, reviewing resumes. Um, I also have some of my clients are as young as 16. So oh, getting that. that good for them. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. Like their mom was a client. So then their mom was like, well, I have these kids and you know, can you coach them? And, and that has been really eye opening too. It just, you know, young people are just so impressionable and they're so amazing. They have so many great ideas. And, you know, with pop culture, with the memes and what's out in the media now, you know, cryptocurrency, people getting money, people as young as 21 becoming multimillionaires because of the invest investments they've made. People want to hop on this bandwagon of, you know, how do I become wealthy at a, at a very young age? And that's when it's actually really the most important because again, time in the market is much more um, beneficial than timing the market. No, I love that. I love that phrase. So it's time in the market is more beneficial than timing the market. So I, right. I, I love that. You should have a, you should have a, a shirt. You should have a shirt <laughs> made with that. You heard it here on mommy one Muslim. Cause I lo absolutely love that, that, that phrase. 
Um, and I love, um, so we're going to put in our show notes, all the places people are going to be able to find you. Um, I, and you're at Hashem Consulting LLC and for, for people that are just need some help kind of with, with that, whether it's from, it sounds like you run the full gamut of all kinds of financial um, services, including buying your home, setting yourself up, budgeting. I, I, I love that as well. So make sure we're going to have that in our, our show notes as well. But now we want to get to know you in a little bit more intimate way. So we do this thing called, um, it's like, it's like a hot second where I kind of just like throw questions at you and you kind of have to answer at the top of your mind. And I promise you, they won't be financial questions or maybe they will be, but I'll put that in at the end. Um, and so I'm, I'm, we're just going to go, it's like this, like hot topic. So are you, are you ready for, for like, it's almost like a speed, speed, speed answer. Yeah. Like a rapid fire. So the first question, yes. rapid fire. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, what is my brain? But my brain these days, I, I like I said, I have to be honest with you. I'm so bad. I've been doing like 50,000 things today speaking of financial literacy and brain, whatever. And if I don't write something down, I forget it. And so I accidentally sent an email. I dropped a whole bunch of emails and I sent them to the wrong people today. So I apologize that for everybody um, because my focus is totally off and my brain is not working. So thank you so much for helping me with the words. And maybe I need to go and read some of these things to get my brain back on, back on. But you know, the first question we always ask everybody is what's a book that you recommend or are you, you currently reading? I'm currently reading Get Good With Money by Tiffany Alicia. She is a, she's, she's also known as a budgetista. So she's a personal finance guru in the United States. She's helped even pass legislation in New Jersey um, regarding financial literacy for um, the public school system. So I'm currently reading that. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, I do have to say back in my day, I mean, granted, I I was in Chicago and maybe it was one of those things, but they and I'm a lot older than a lot of you guys, but we had a class that was part of like learning how to budget, learning how to do, it was a very, it was part of our high school curriculum. So I was actually really surprised that my kids did not have that. So mm. um, I'm glad that they're starting to pass legislation so that these kids can become a little bit more um, financially illiterate. That having been said, it didn't really help me, um, <laughs> but I did learn how to write checks that are no longer valid anymore, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, so what is your most used emoji, Lisa? I would say the, um, probably lately, wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Like with the mouth wide open, like, wow. Wow. That's yes. one of my favorite. Like, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Um, if you were to eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Menstrual dates. Ooh, really? Yeah, I feel like they cure everything. I I don't know. I love it. And it's part of our prophetic tradition. And now I know why. It's good for upset stomach. It's good for waking you up. It's good for energy. I love it. So yeah, probably that. Okay, I love that. Um, And my last question to you is, who would you want to have dinner with, dead or alive? Uh, minus our normal, you know, everyone says, like, yeah, profit, da, 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 da. if you were yeah. to just a, a, some random person that you can spend one dinner with for one night, who would that be? And why? Okay. Um, I, oh my God, this is so hard. Um, 
I know it's really <laughs> hard because you're like, I would, I want a whole table filled with lots of people. Right. And this is who I would do pick. Yeah. Um, probably Oprah. Uh, you know, I, and it's so funny. I, I think that's such a generic answer, but I actually grew up watching Oprah every day after school. My mom would watch it. We'd watch it. Oprah and Chopra, right? <laughs> Oprah, Those are the two. Oprah, at, Oprah and Chopra. At 4 p.m., I remember my mom would watch it in her room and I would watch it downstairs. We'd be watching, but not together. <laughs> oh. And and just because I learned so much and she was so big into reading yeah. books. And mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of fell off the reading book wagon, like after college. And I, I just felt like, wow, she's really helping people like become literate. And, and she had like interesting guests. She had a lot of like financial literacy on her show as well. She had a lot of guests related to that. So, and she did a lot of philanthropy, you know, the school in she South did. Africa, she had a show called the big give. I don't know if you remember that, but yeah. it was only one season, but um, she just was really into philanthropy considering, you know, where she came from and, and her life came experiences. Right. So I think just because I grew up so much with Oprah in my house um, and my mom was a big fan. Yeah. I'd probably say Oprah Winfrey. Oh my gosh. I love that. Maybe, maybe Oprah's watching. You never know. And she'll, <laughs> she'll reach out to you. You never know. Um, Oprah watching mommy while Muslim. Wouldn't that be so fun and exciting? That'd be but so thank cool, you yes. so much, Lisa. I know. Wouldn't it be cool? Lisa, it was so nice chit chatting with you. We always like love having you guys on like you, like I, we've talked to Lena before. Like we love having the sisters on and you know, Uzma, we're missing you, but inshallah, we'll see you all next week. Um, we're going to have all of um, Lisa's information in the show notes, everybody. So, you know, Lisa, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Yeah. You know, thank you, Usman Zeba. You've, you both are just such wonderful women. I mean, what you're doing for the Muslim community is, and it's not just the Muslim community, what you're doing for women in general is, you know, sharing stories, you know, giving inputs, showing the world that, you know, we have something to contribute to. Maybe you haven't heard our stories before, but as brown women, as South Asian women, as Muslim women, but I love your platform. I love that you're so kind and open to everyone. And, you know, thank you for the opportunity for being on your show. It's an honor. No, we love that. Well, honestly, I wasn't expecting that. So I'm feeling pretty good about myself. So thank you so much. Um, But no, I definitely appreciate it. And, you know, part of our thing and our mission has always been passing the mic to other women. And that's really what we want to do is elevate the voices of American Muslim women in our communities. And, you know, and and financial literacy is a huge, it's a huge thing because of the financial abuse that we get. We get a lot of these DMs and these, and, and to your point, they don't even realize what's going on. So Thank you for much, so much for shedding a light to that and for helping um, other Muslim sisters and other women. We really appreciate you all. And, you know, we'll see you all next week for another episode of Mommy While Muslim. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma on Mommy While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Mommy While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.